Hello, my Rebels. Today's show is about a new report that says 500,000 surgeries have been canceled in Canada because of the lockdowns. A lot of them are cancer surgeries, cataract surgeries on people's eyes when they're going blind, hip and knee surgeries so they can't even walk. Half a million canceled. And I wonder how many of those have died and is that number larger than the 29,000 people who have died from COVID, usually in their 80s? I'll take you through the numbers in the report. It's quite something. Before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of the podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video version, plus shows from Sheila Gunnery, David Menzies, and Andrew Chapnos. And, you know, the eight bucks a month, it's not a ton, but it helps us stay free. We don't take any money from the government, and we never will. Tonight, when will we hear daily counts of deaths from the lockdown? It's December 9th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Look at this headline. I just picked it at random, really. I could find a bunch like it. Rapid infection rate of Omicron COVID variant is causing concern as UK braces for one million cases. Wow, a million cases, a million. No doubt it's causing concern, except that so far, I don't think this Omicron mutation of the COVID virus has sent a single person to the hospital. I showed you this clip from the United Kingdom itself just the other day. How many of those who have tested positive in the UK are ill? Secretary of State. The, the number of uh, confirmed cases in, in the UK is 336. Uh, they are all by definition infected. They will have been various, uh, some, some may be asymptomatic, others uh, will be feeling ill. And none of them so far, as far as I, uh, as far as I am aware, have been hospitalized. So you're saying it's, it's like the common cold. <laughs> okay. But hey, the UK is bracing for a million cases of the common cold. They really want to scare you, don't they? They love saying new and exotic words, Omicron. That sounds so cool, but scary, too. There are a lot of cool Greek letters to name a bunch more common colds after. Omega. That's going to be amazing. Why do they do it? Well, like any war, there are war profiteers. This is a sort of war. People in the war materiel business love war, whether it's making uniforms for soldiers or, I don't know, making masks. You know, I, I'm not too interested in hearing from folks who wanted to ban plastic straws. I can't go anywhere without seeing gross masks on the ground. But hey, it's for your health. Just remember, politicians love a war. People pull together around their leaders against an external enemy. It's great for politicians or an invisible enemy. I mean, hang on, you're not for the enemy, are you? 
I mean, you're either with us or you're with the enemy. Who are you? Who's siding on? And Canadian opposition leaders don't dare dissent. Of course, the media loves a war. It's good for ratings. Here's a story about uh, Hearst, the famous propagandist after whom they, the phrase yellow journalism was named. Let me read this story about him from PBS. It was about how he really wanted a war, sort of like CNN does these days. Perhaps the most famous anecdote surrounding Hearst's zeal for the war involves a legendary communication between the illustrator Frederick Remington and Hearst. As the story goes, Remington, who had been sent to Cuba to cover the insurrection, cabled to Hearst that there was no war to cover. Hearst allegedly replied with, you furnish the pictures, I'll furnish the war. <laughs> well, for four years, Donald Trump refused to give the world new wars. He just didn't. I'm afraid that Joe Biden is fixing that. I'm afraid that Biden's weakness is inviting Russia to devour Ukraine and China to devour Taiwan, something they wouldn't dare do under Donald Trump. But I think the media's insatiable need for conflict and drama and an enemy has made the pandemic into a sort of war, not against China, even though they are the source of the virus, but against the real enemy of the media, which is our own citizens and their freedoms. I really despise the vocabulary of the warmongers who insist on one weapon only to fight the enemy, namely vaccines that just don't really work as promised. I mean, ask Bill Gates. The deaths, it's been completely horrific. And I would expect that will lead the R&D budgets to be focused on things we didn't have today. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new, a new way of doing the vaccine. The vaccines don't stop you from getting or spreading the disease. Yesterday, I showed you how a new study published by the US government shows that vaccines may actually be encouraging mutations and more infections. But war profiteers need their profits, so the solution to any and every problem is more shots. I mean, just keep doing it, right? Do you think that the third shot uh, that some people call the third shot, some people call the booster, will eventually be part of vaccine passports and mandates, uh, that it will take more than two in order to be considered fully vaccinated? Probably, uh, uh, almost certainly, because that's how uh, the history of vaccination uh, proceeds. You know, with vaccina vaccines have a limited uh, time during which they are fully effective, and that's going to be the case for the COVID-19 vaccines. Yeah. Now, we're not there yet. Uh, we are at the start of an important booster campaign, and uh, we have yet to, uh, to, to, to give a booster shot to uh, many Canadians, and so we'll have to focus on that for now. Vaccines, boosters, triple vaxxed. I'm tired of that, but what's driving it is the fear. And what's sowing the fear is illiterate and innumerate journalists saying things like a million cases of Omicron. Omicron, oh my gosh. Except that, you know, it's like the cold. It's like when that PGA player was literally having the game of his life and someone went up to him and tapped him on the shoulder and told him he had to quit mid-game because he had COVID, they claimed, even though he didn't even know it. Yeah, that's a terrifying disease. When Donald Trump, a fat man in his 70s, got COVID and recovered in a weekend, 
I knew it was a touch overblown, and that wasn't even the mild version. So I know all of these useless and meaningless numbers. I mean, here are just a few. COVID-19, Alberta reports six new cases of Omicron variant. Imagine thinking that is a news story. Six people have a cold in a province of nearly 5 million citizens. Here's another from The Atlantic. Omicron's explosive growth is a warning sign. We don't know how severe Omicron is, but we do know it's spreading very fast. Yeah, no, um, we actually do know how severe it is. Uh, it's not severe. The overall uh, patients uh, that was recorded yesterday was 3,000 and around about 3,700. So our positivity rate is 9.2%. Um, it is, yes, it is, it is more than we would have loved um, it to be. But looking at the mildness of the symptoms that we are seeing, currently there's no reason for panicking as we don't see severely ill patients. Here's Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster. Rising COVID-19 hospitalizations will strain system even without Omicron, Ontario Science Table. Yeah, even without Omicron, it has nothing to do with Omicron. Not, not a single one of those hospitalizations has to do with Omicron. Why would you put that in your headline? It's deceptive, it's fake news, it's disinformation. It implies Omicron is what's making it worse. Those wicked liars. Here's another one. Ontario extends pause on reopening plan indefinitely as COVID-19 situation worsens. Oh, there's a shocker, a warmonger mongering the war. Listen to this shocking language. Uh, yeah, a basic means of protecting individuals is stopping the mixing of unvaccinated and vaccinated. Yeah, at what point do we get to call these guys bigots? But look at this story, the, the rare time when a stopped clock is right. This is from the Globe and Mail. It appeared elsewhere, too. The story is, number of surgeries performed in Canada fell more than half a million during pandemic, report says. Hmm. Half a million surgeries. A half a million. And I don't think we're talking about surgeries like, I don't know, breast implants or, or nose jobs or things like that. Half a million. Have you ever had surgery? Ever? If you did, I'm guessing it was for something sort of serious, <laughs> more serious than a cold, a half a million surgeries canceled. The number of surgeries performed in Canadian hospitals fell by more than half a million from March 2020 to June 2021, according to a new report that highlights the collateral damage caused by the pandemic. I got to stop you right there, brother. The pandemic didn't do that. Politicians did that. The report published on Thursday by the Canadian Institute for Health Information found surgeries decreased by about 35,000 a month during the first 16 months of the pandemic, with the largest declines during the first wave in early 2020. The report found the biggest decreases were in cataract removals and hip and knee replacements. Oh, really? Cataracts. That's when, when you're going blind, right? That's not important, is it? Knee and hip surgery so, so you can walk, right? You don't really need those, do you? Hmm. As the number of COVID-19 cases creeps up in many parts of Canada, public health experts predict that the disruptions to the healthcare system will continue for some time. Cases, what's a case? A case of Omicron? What does that have to do with getting cataract surgery?
Elective operations also include cancer surgery and treatments for other serious, possibly life-threatening medical conditions. Oh, is cancer surgery elective? I didn't know that. Half a million of these. You know, 29,000 Canadians have died from COVID over the past two years, if you trust the statistics. That's a lot. But then again, not really a lot. There's 38 million Canadians. It's a bit higher than the number over the same period of time who would have died from the flu in any given two-year period. The average age of COVID deaths, though, is about 80. A huge number of these deaths were euthanized in Quebec nursing homes, according to the provincial inquiry into the subject. I'm sorry, you don't get to attribute euthanasia to a virus. That was done by people and politicians and bureaucrats. So a half a million surgeries, including cancer surgeries, have been canceled. Do you doubt that that's killed or is going to kill more than 29,000 of those half million? I don't want people of any age to die, but we are all going to die someday. Dying at 80 from natural causes is sad, but not a tragedy. Dying at 80 from COVID is sad. Dying at 30 or 40 or 50 years old because your cancer was missed or not operated on, well, that's more than sad. That's a tragedy. And at some point, I think you got to stop calling it a tragedy and start calling it a crime. And that's just surgeries. The drug overdoses and suicides too. The data also found that people in low income areas were more likely than those in the highest income neighborhoods to be admitted to hospital for health problems linked to substance abuse. And young women were more likely than any other demographic to be hospitalized for self-harm during that period of the pandemic, the report shows. The analysis includes only hospital admissions linked to substance abuse or self-harm. So it's an incomplete picture of the true toll the report said. Yeah, average age of suicides and drug deaths is much lower than people in their 80s. We're sacrificing children. That's the opposite of civilization. Are you okay with any of this? Stay with us for more. When paying the $7 billion bill associated with this proposal. Question is directed to who, Mr. Poliev? Anyone who wants to answer it. If they have one, anyone over there that is concerned about where the money comes from, that person could speak up. Maybe you could choose one of the witnesses. I don't know who uh, on their side uh, is responsible for this, but clearly they're getting the money from somewhere, so they must know where. <clears throat> Anyone here from Finance Canada? I see Mr. Baylor. Mr. Chair, Mr. Chair I, 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 can, I can provide a, uh, a high-level uh, response, but uh, I'm afraid I won't be able to, uh, to answer uh, directly uh, the honorable member's uh, uh, question. Uh, because we're, we're here to, to discuss and, and what I can say uh, with regards to the cost of the measures uh, in terms of, of part one um, the, the three first programs that, that, I, uh, that I mentioned the, the hospitality the tourism and hospitality recovery program part businesses recovery program 
and the local lockdown program have a cost of three point two billion. And and where's and, sorry sorry Mr. Mr. Baylor, where's the money coming from? Uh, well, Mr. Chair, that that is uh, within the, the government's uh, broader macro uh, economic framework, and and I'm not I, I'm not uh, uh, respond. I, I can't I can't speak to, to that. So, so you, you don't have anyone. It's just that we're we're being asked to vote in favor of another seven billion dollars of spending. And the obvious question is, where is it coming from? Mr. Chair, as I indicated, I, I, I can discuss the contents of the bill and I, I appreciate the question, but I, I, can't, I can't answer that, that question. Oh, my gosh. You really have to watch that whole video. It's it's too much. It's too much. The, the, cringe, the cringe factor. You've got 10 finance officials and none of them know what the answer is. None of them are allowed to say the answers. None of them think if they answer that maybe they'll get in trouble. That's, that's too perfect. That's unperfect in a terrible way. Holy mackerel. And of course, is Pierre Polyev, I think the most effective critic in the opposition, which... Some would say it's like saying the tallest short guy, but boy, that was good. There aren't a lot of people holding the line on spending, especially during the pandemic where anything goes. But one of the few organizations I think you can trust, mainly because they're not on the government dole, because they don't take any government handouts. One of the few good guys left out there that's untainted by the Trudeau bucks. Well, those are our friends at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Joining us now via Skype is Franco Terrazano the Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director, who joins us now. Franco, great to, to see you again. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. It was great to see. I see you have an article in the Sun newspapers. This is from the Toronto Sun. The headline is, Trudeau needs to make government debt a priority. Now, you could read that headline in two ways, and Trudeau would say, I'm making government debt a huge priority. I mean, he's the master of it, but I, I think you mean it the opposite way, don't you? Yeah, we mean actually reining in all this massive deficit spending. And Ezra, we just got the throne speech from this government. That's when they talk about all these different types of priorities. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes what is not said is what reveals the most. And we didn't hear a single mention of the word deficit or debt. Now, I get that there's many different priorities that governments have right now, but when you are more than $1 trillion in debt, you would think that debt reduction should be a key priority. Yeah. Well, can you explain to folks, and I got to say, there's certain subjects I feel like I know a fair bit about, but monetary policy and inflation, I'll admit I, I only have a sort of understanding of the subject. Can you help our folks out and help me out a bit? How does massive government debt feed into inflation and, and what is inflation and interest rates? What do they do? Can you, can you sort of bring it down to, to street level for me? Well, uh, the one thing that you have to know is just that the more money or the more dollars that the government prints through its central bank, the less that your dollars in your paychecks or your saving account will buy. And what we've seen during the pandemic is this printing press has been on overdrive. The, the Bank of Canada has printed up $370 billion uh, purchasing financial assets such as Government of Canada debt. Now, that sounds like a huge amount of new dollars because it is. It's a 
300% growth in the Bank of Canada's assets, which is way more than what happened during the recessions of the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, even the 0809 recession. Well, so what does that do? I mean, a lot of Canadians in certain cities, at least, Toronto, Vancouver, to name a couple, housing prices are so high. I mean, the average detached dwelling in Toronto proper is over a million dollars now. I think Vancouver in some ways is even more expensive. What, what's the effect this has on housing prices for people trying to buy their first house? And what's the effect for people who maybe own their home but have to renegotiate their mortgage? Well, it's driving up the cost of living. I mean, it's too many dollars chasing too few goods. I mean, there's so many factors that can influence prices day to day. But a key one is the fact that the government can print new dollars out of thin air, but it can't print new houses. It can't print up new farmland. Um, and one of the things that we have to remember is that the Bank of Canada, one of the key things that is buying up is government of Canada debt. Uh, the last that I looked, the Bank of Canada's assets, 85% of that is government of Canada bonds. So to me, it sure seems like uh, the Trudeau government is using the printing press to finance a good chunk of its deficits. You know, for such a long time, interest rates have been so low, it's been easy for people if they could muster some sort of a down payment to buy a home. But if interest rates start going up, I, I mean, we could be in, I mean, I remember this term from, you know, a generation ago, stagflation. It was sort of a made up word, <laughs> stagnation and inflation. I remember there was a time when interest rates were double digits. And what that does to, to people who are trying to pay a, a mortgage is, is shocking to me. You know, it, it's so long ago, I think a whole generation of Canadians has grown up never knowing what hyperinflation and, and devaluation of the currency is like. I, I, I think we're, a lot of people are in for a rude awakening. It's a little scary. It reminds me of Trudeau version one, Trudeau 1.0. Like it was under his watch that we were in this trouble the last time, isn't it? Well, and this is one of the key things that we're trying to get across, Ezra, right? Either the federal government makes some tough decisions today, or we're going to see tougher decisions forced on us. Now, you just mentioned Trudeau Sr., but we could even look a little bit closer in time. Let's go. Uh, let's just go to what happened in the 80s and 90s. Well, in the 80s, you had these big spending politicians that kept kicking the deficit can down the road. And by the time the 90s came across, you saw politicians on all sides of the aisle, um, on different levels of government, were forced to make tough decisions. In Saskatchewan, for example, they had to close, what was it, uh, more than 50 hospitals across the Prairie Province. Uh, so that's the, the message that we're getting across or trying to get across here to these politicians is, hey, look, you either make some tough decisions today, tighten your belts, or tougher decisions are going to be forced on all Canadians. Yeah. Well, I forgot about that. That's right. The NDP, the party of Tommy Douglas, was the party shutting down hospitals because they simply ran out of other people's money. Well, folks, do me a favor and go to taxpayer, singular, taxpayer.com. And that's the website for Franco and the other teammates there at the Taxpayers Federation. If you're not already signed up there, please do. Like I say, they're one of the few organizations in civil society that is not on the government payroll. So they're one of the few folks out there that's able to you know, speak honestly and independently. Franco, it's great to see you. Keep up the good work. I'm so pleased to see you published in the Toronto Sun, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me on today. Well, it's our pleasure. There you have it, Franco Terrazano. He's the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Stay with us. 
more ahead. Hey, welcome back. Your letters. Someone named John here says, I like Avi. He gets right in there to root out the truth. A real journalist, as is the rest of your team. I'm behind Rebel News all the way. When you fear the government, it's tyranny, not freedom. Avi's doing great down there. And uh, really against all odds, there's such a small handful of Australians fighting. And, and in the state of Victoria, they call them states down there. Well, that's where Melbourne is, city of about five, six million. That really is one of the most locked down places in the world. I'm so glad Avi's there. And boy, the premier hates him. Paul McCullough says, I guess China will have to come up with another bioweapon accident. Looks like COVID is petering out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those curious things. Like, remember that huge shooting, the worst mass shooting in American history? That guy in Las Vegas from the hotel room just shooting for like an hour or whatever? Whatever happened to that? What, why have we not heard anything? You would think that with the in combined might and investigative powers of the FBI and other police, we'd know the truth about that. Why did that just vapor? Uh, I feel the same way about certain curiosities like, oh, gee, uh, this uh, virus from Wuhan, China, where did it come from? Did people just stop asking when they got too close to the answer? I don't know. Scott Roofer says, here's my new word for it, controlvid. Controlvid. All right. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue, but I get it. Hey, I want to say goodnight to you now, and I want to tell you to keep fighting for freedom, and I want to say goodnight, but I want to tell you to watch this video of the day first. This is our friend Matt Brebner from Vancouver talking to an unvaccinated doctor who has refused entry to his own clinic. All right, I'll leave you with this. Keep fighting for freedom. How is that? Uh, no. Yeah, so the elevator's this way if you guys want to head out. Sure. Appreciate it. Sure, yeah. Yeah. You can head out. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Let's head out, guys. Sure, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. What's that? I have to call the call. Well, uh, I attended the college uh, to the clinic. It's in fact to uh, to go to my regular shift where I supervise. I put in an eight-hour shift there. Uh, being their longest-standing, oldest uh, licensed doctor on staff, I thought, well, you know, I'll just show up for my regular shift. But I was met at the door, unfortunately, by. You know, a group of people uh, who were bent on barring me from entering the clinic. Uh, my supervisor very conveniently went on holidays, you know, so when the, when the push comes to shove, um, they're not there. Uh, some students are very close to graduating. Uh, you know, in a week they would, they would get a, a, their doctorate. But, you know, to be um, held, at, as it were, at gunpoint, you know, gun to your head to not be able to graduate, get your degree that you spent 10 years of in, uh, education invested in that, and goodness knows way more than hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and to have that held over your head uh, just doesn't seem right or fair to me. Uh, it's wrong. Just when you thought things couldn't get any more ridiculous, this naturopathic doctor is being fired from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Why do you ask? For not getting vaccinated. That's coming up next.
Hey guys, Matt Brevner here for Rebel News, and in the latest edition of Get Jabbed or Get Lost, I bring you Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and Boucher Naturopathic Medical Clinic in my hometown of New Westminster, British Columbia, the Royal City. At the beginning of November, Boucher Medical Clinic and the CCNM sent out a mass email to all faculty and all students, essentially saying if you do not get vaccinated, you won't be able to graduate, you won't be able to attend in-person in lessons, you won't be able to teach, and there won't be a job for you. So you might as well get vaccinated and get with the program or get lost. Now, mind you, this does not apply to patients coming to the school or to the clinic. Patients are not required to be vaccinated, but for some reason, a naturopathy school and clinic, that's right, a naturopathy school and clinic is requiring all of their students and all of their staff to get vaxxed. The British Columbia Provincial Health Officer has issued an order requiring all faculty members of post-secondary institutions employed in a care location for training to be vaccinated for COVID-19. This order applies to all clinic staff and supervisors at the Boucher campus of CCNM. For those hired before October 26, 2021, you must provide proof of vaccination to Dr. Fairman Young by November 29th. A scan or PDF of your vaccination passport is sufficient. If you have received one dose of the vaccine and are waiting to receive the second dose for a period of up to 35 days, you may continue to work so long as you comply with the preventative measures already in place at the Boucher campus. If hired after October 26, 2021, you may only continue to work if you are fully vaccinated. Unfortunately, those who are not meeting the conditions that permit them to work will be placed on unpaid leave effective November 29th, 2021. On receiving this email, Dr. Tyler decided that enough was enough, and he wrote to his Associate Dean of Clinical Studies and Chief Medical Officer of CCM Boucher, Dr. Corinne Fairman Young, to make his position known and to stand up for what he believes is right and also stand up for fair treatment of his students. Dear Karen, with due respect to you and the offices you represent, and in view of imminent mandates coming to private health care, I felt the time was now to make my position clear with regard to the current political health care conundrum we are facing. I do not intend to be coerced into taking the COVID-19 vaccine as a condition of employment, nor will I be relegated to second-class employee status by being forced to take regular antibody tests or the like. My experience in our beloved profession and the science as of today has taught me that there are too many risks versus benefits of receiving these shots. No doubt you are aware of the grievances on both sides of this rift, and I am hopeful that we as sensible, logical human beings will be able to ford this ever-deepening river and continue the task that has been ours from the beginning to pass on the knowledge we have gained from our elders to our students. There are accommodations that can be made to appease the powers that be and thereby allow us to carry on teaching while maintaining our inviolate human right to choose medical procedures. You may have seen or heard the news reports of large school boards in Surrey, Vancouver, New Westminster, and others taking the position to not mandate their member teachers to vaccinate. I hope that we will be treated similarly. Sincerely yours, Dr. Alan Scott Tyler. Although I wish it was under different circumstances, I had the privilege and the distinct honor to chat with Dr. Alan Scott Tyler, ND, a naturopath of over 30 years. In fact, his grandfather was a naturopath during the Spanish flu, so it's in his lineage and he has an, a distinct understanding about alternative medicine. We met on December 1st, his last day of work, 
to discuss what's going on at Boucher Medical Clinic and what the future has in store. Now, before we get into this interview with Dr. Tyler, I just wanted to ask, if you have a second, please open up another tab or window and go to novaxpassports.com and sign our petition or pitch in for our legal efforts. We're hiring top-notch lawyers to fight against these unjust vaccine mandates and vaccine passports on all of our behalfs. Thank you so much. I'm here with Dr. Alan Tyler, a naturopathic doctor at the Boucher Medical Institute, a clinic supervisor, in fact. Can you explain to us what, what just happened today and, and the drama that unfolded before we, we met you here? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, I attended the college uh, to the clinic, it's in fact, to, uh, to go to my regular shift where I supervise. I put in an eight-hour shift there. Uh, being their longest-standing, oldest uh, licensed doctor, on staff, I thought, well, you know, I'll just show up for my regular shift. But I was met at the door, unfortunately, by you know, a group of people uh, who were bent on barring me from entering the clinic, which uh, I find strange uh, because patients go in uh, and they're not asked any questions about their uh, status with respect to this mandate. Anyways, the, the argument that I got at the door uh, barring me from entering was that uh, they're just following orders. So just following the public health order. Uh, and my question to them was, well, do you not have any options? And they said, well, no, we don't, we don't have any choice in the matter. We have to follow the public health order. Uh, being a, um, a service provider, public serv- health service provider, uh, I can see perhaps a point there, but there are ways to work around these issues. You know, we can do remote uh, consultations and lots of doctors are doing that on on every level, whether they're uh, medical doctors or uh, chiropractors cannot probably, but uh, certainly naturopathic physicians have been remotely seeing patients for a couple of years now. Uh, And it's all uh, uh, acceptable medical practice, as you probably know. Maybe we should rewind a little bit here. I'm a bit confused as to how it got to this point in the first place. Was there any sort of correspondence that was issued to you or, or the students or anything else expecting this to be a mass exodus date? Like, how did we get here? Right. Well, uh, emails were sent out. They were just basically copied and pasted from the, the uh, public health officer. Uh, there was really no personal contact between the, the school and myself. Uh, as a former school board member, I can tell you uh, that's not normally the way we would do things. You personally reach out to people, especially people that you work closely with like they do with me and uh, they have the utmost trust in me to take care of the patients uh, and to guide and, and teach the student clinicians. But I, re- I received no such um, contact. I didn't get the, the personal calls. I didn't get uh, personal emails. I just got copied and pasted uh, data, which um, half of it, you know, I just don't even read it sometimes because it just, it's junk mail. Right. Uh, but I would have thought I would have been afforded some, you know, dignity, if you will, um, given how long and how many years I put into this place. I would hope there will be some uh, future consideration for some accommodations for the students so that they can continue and complete their program. Some of them are one week from graduation and they've been just surreptitiously cast to the curb. 
uh, that is just not fair or right. And it's certainly there's a, a legality component there too, which uh, that will be for someone else to determine. Right. Uh, in my opinion, anyway. But um, I just uh, am left with a really heavy heart over what's happened here at our school. Uh, naturopathic medicine is really about you know the alternative uh, approach and. And nature cure has been around for a long time. I trust that it will continue. But uh, the mandate or forcing people to do things against their will, coercing them, you know, you can't graduate unless you do what we say uh, with respect to your health. We are autonomous people. You know, we have charter rights and, and no emergency conditions um, can override that. Right. And, the, and the, uh, the assistant dean wasn't there. That's correct. The the uh, my supervisor very conveniently went on holidays. You know, so when the when the push comes to shove, um, they're not there uh, either to address your concerns personally, uh, professionally, with uh, you know respect and kindness. Uh, they, they just disappear, run away. Uh, some students are very close to graduating. Uh, you know, in a week they would they would get a, a their doctorate. But, you know, to be um, held, at, as it were, at gunpoint, you know, gun to your head to not be able to graduate, get your degree that you spent 10 years of in, uh, education invested in that, and goodness knows, way more than hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and to have that held over your head uh, just doesn't seem right or fair to me. Uh, it's wrong. Private medical associations are still... Uh, dragging their feet, if you will. They haven't committed to agreeing to the mandate. Uh, we're still waiting to hear from the British Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons who represent medical doctors. If they're in an institution like a hospital, they have to follow the mandate or be on unpaid leave like myself. Uh, if they're in private practice, they have the, still the option to either follow this mandate or not. And uh, as I said, we're still waiting to hear what they have to say, but uh, I suspect uh, our medical system couldn't tolerate the damage that will be incurred by a lot of private medical doctors walking away. Now, there are only about um, 800 uh, licensed naturopathic physicians. They are not all uh, interested in following the mandate accordingly, but. Um, we'll see how that plays out. What would be your guess as to how many people in your industry are taking a similar uh, stance as yourself? Uh, probably, uh, my, my guess would be about a third of the doctors are, uh, are kind of waiting to see what happens. We're right. hoping that we won't be uh, forced into following the mandate. You know, there, I, don't, I don't know whatever happened to free choice. It's just, uh, it's just beyond understanding. There's no logic to it whatsoever. You know, I have 35 years of experience. Nobody has can hold a candle to my experience. I'm not bragging, it's just the way it is. Uh, I love my students. They need what I have, what I've gleaned from 35 years of work. Uh, they're not gonna get that. Uh, it's sad, it's sad. There, there are other supervisors there, but they don't have near the experience that I have. But you know, if you wanna throw away your best supervisors, I just don't get that. So I won't be teaching there any longer. I teach master classes in uh, clinical uh, education there also. 
I also am the historian. I teach the history class to the third and fourth year students. Uh, I don't know who knows the history better than I do. I would love to meet them. Uh, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying I lived through it. And I know all the doctors before who are now dead and gone, they were the ones that built this industry, this medicine for us in the province. Almost 100 years next year, 100 years. So uh, it's a sad day, I think, for our profession, for our school. Uh, I'm just hoping this whole thing blows over, like so many people. Right. But, you know, the reality is <laughs> I don't think it will. However, that remains to be seen. Well, it seems that uh, we're living in history currently, and you're writing your own history. So I just want to say thank you genuinely from the bottom of my heart and our audience for what you're doing. We really appreciate you. Thank, thank you for your time. You. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I reached out to Dr. Fairman Young regarding the implementation of this latest policy because by my understanding, it seems to be in direct violation of their code of ethics and their values. I'm yet to receive a response, but if I do, it will be included in the write-up below. I really do wish Dr. Tyler the best, and I hope that Boucher Medical Clinic and the CCNM gets their act together and figures this thing out. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. In fact, there was one student who reached out to us who, after nine years in this school, nine years on his medical program, he's one week away from graduation, and they're not letting him graduate unless he gets vaccinated. So he's decided to, in fact, get the Johnson & Johnson single dose because he felt that was best for him and in his situation so that he can graduate. Now, this isn't a decision that he's making lightly. We're talking about a $200,000 plus diploma, years and years and years of life, basically dedicating his life work and is having his arm being twisted and coerced to do something that he's fearful that could be harmful for him. Now, this is a, a basically a trained medical professional that's concerned that his health might be in jeopardy by taking this jab so that he can practice health. The whole thing's gone wacky and gone completely sideways. But anyways, if you appreciate reports like this and people like us and my colleagues bringing you the other side of the story, I ask you, please go to rebelfieldreports.com and donate what you can to our journalism. Everything there goes to help for things like gas money and, and pitching in so we can bring you reports like this and continue bringing you the other side of the story. Thank you so much.